If you have a Bible, let's open up to the book of Psalms, chapter 82. As this evening, we have communion and we get to study a few Psalms that are just so amazing. In Psalms 82, we're going to see the judges of God. In Psalm 83, we'll see the people of God. And then in Psalm 84, we'll see the pilgrims of God. And so we begin, first of all, in Psalm 82 with the judges of God. It's a cry for justice. You know, that the, the judge of all the earth would judge the judges who were practicing injustice and showing partiality. It's a prayer that God would reestablish justice in the land. And I know a couple of judges. I remember there's this one guy at court in Pasadena. He was a Christian, really, really fair, good judge. But, you know, we have all these judges, huh? You go to, you guys are stood before a judge? Any of you guys, you know what I'm talking about, man? And uh, it's crazy. I have been there myself. Um, and they're making these judgments, and you've got different levels, and eventually you get to the Supreme Court. And they're making all these decisions. When, when, and, and the thing that we, we got to understand is that God put them there. You know, especially in Israel, but even here in the United States of America. And so what God is trying to do is just reestablish justice but even if you're not a judge by vocation, we are always making judgments. We, we're ju making judgments all the time, and we'll talk about that. And so it's really important for us to, to take heed here. In Psalm 82, it's a psalm of Asaph, and we read in verse 1. It says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Free them from the hand of the wicked. You know, the psalmist saw that there was a lot of injustices going on in, in the land, a lot of wrong judgments. And so he asked God, you know, what's going on? You, you know, and he's saying, don't be silent, you know. And sometimes God is silent for a season or a reason, but, but what we find is that even though he's not, you know, saying much at times, he's not absent. He's present. It's, he's there. He's aware. As a matter of fact, that's what you read there in verse 1. It says that he stands in the congregation of the mighty. And so all these judgments are making judgments. And so is God. And he's taking note of every single one of them. You know, in, in verse 1 here, it's interesting, the psalmist refers to the judges as gods, right, small g. Not that they're literally, actually, you know, God in that sense of the word, because we know the Bible teaches there's only one God, right? But when these men and women sitting in those seats, in those positions, in those places of such power, you know, when they're there, it's, there, it's almost like they're making life and death decisions, right? They need to know that the great responsibility that they have, and they also need to know that God put them there as his representatives. And so here in, in verse 2, the psalmist asks, Lord, how long you know, will, will these guys judge unjustly, show partiality to the wicked? You know, you go to court today and these guys get off because they got a slick attorney or maybe someone slipped them a bribe. God sees all that. You know, the psalmist here in verses 3 and 4 reminds them of their responsibilities. I mean, the judges are there to defend the poor, you know, to help the fatherless, even though they can't afford a, a lawyer and they have nothing to give them, nothing to offer. That's why they're there, to deliver them. That's why God had put them there. And, you know, for us, it's important to know that, that as judges, as anyone who makes any type of judgment, you know, it's interesting, even the oath of the Supreme Court justices, uh, it's interesting, I was looking up the wording, and, and this is what they have to say when they get put in that place, in that position of power. It says, I, John Roberts, do solemnly swear that I will support and defend the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, that I will bear true faith and allegiance to the same, that I take this obligation freely without any mental reservation or purpose of evasion, and that I will faithfully discharge the duties of the office on which I am about to enter. So help 
me God. See, the judges, even today, the judges, they're there uh, and they even acknowledge the fact that they need God's assistance. And so it's always good to remind ourselves of this. They had forgotten. Notice what we read in verse 5. It says, they, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. And so he mentions the foundations there in verse 5. And that's an interesting concept in the Old Testament. In one sense, the foundation is it's what we stand on, man. It's, for us, it's the Bible, right? It's the basis by which our entire world works, right? It's, it's true spirituality. It's God-given morality. It's the conscience of our Creator, but, but when that is destroyed, when the foundation is destroyed, then morality gives way to depravity. And let me tell you something. The, the, the things that are going on today, uh, it's insane. It is absolutely insane that they're, they're going to now... I don't know if you guys heard about this, but we have to talk more about this, that in the public schools now, uh, they're mandating... Uh, classes for kindergartners, five-year-olds and up, to now uh, study uh, uh, things along the lines of, you know, the, the gay practices, the lesbian practices, trying to eliminate the whole process of God's given us this, you know, gender ide- identity. And so we're living in a world now where when your little boy is born, that they're trying to tell you don't encourage him in his masculinity. Let him grow up and kind of make his, you know, the choice as far as what he wants to do, you know, if he wants to be a boy or a girl one day. Don't influence them. And that's coming down through our judges. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to an interview with uh, Dr. James Dobson and Kathy Laurie. It was just yesterday. uh, And he has a, a program. It's called Family Talk. And they were... They were talking about this and uh, just the, the craziness of it. California is leading the way in these things. And uh, this is one of the passages they quoted in Psalms 11 and verse 3. It says, the fo- if the foundations are destroyed, you know, what can the righteous do? In Psalm 89.14, it says, righteousness and, and justice are the foundation of your throne. In Psalm 97 and verse 2b, it says, righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. And what they're doing to our country, and we got to fight it. Don't give in. Fight it. You were born a a boy. You were born a man. You were born a woman. You don't, you know, mess around with stuff like that. Because this is the very fabric of society. You know, and what we find is that our, our nation is being hit with a tidal wave of wickedness, they're assaulting our families and they're targeting our children. You know, you got to be so careful. God needs to, man, just waken us up as a church, empower and encourage us to do everything we can to protect them. You know, if you have a little boy, one day you have a little boy, you, you play football with him. You know, you, you, you know, it's okay. Blue is good for the little boy. You, you show him how to be a man. You encourage him in that. You, you show your little girl how to be a little girl. You encourage them, you pray for them, you pour the Lord into them because the whole world is trying to tell them something different. I mean, they're, they're destroying the foundations of our society. And that's what he says right here. Again, notice in, in verse 5, it says, they, they do not know, nor do they understand. They walk about in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are unstable. That, that's the judges. One day they're going to give an account to all that. But, but by the way, I, I think it's important for us to know that it's not just judges that this psalm is applicable to. It's us as parents. Parents, do you ever make decisions? Pastors, they make decisions all the time. Our policemen, they're constantly making judgments, right? I mean, employers, all of us, we are constantly making decisions and judgments that affect people's lives, rulings on many issues. There's so much drama 
amongst the disciples. It applies to all of us. And that's why when you read the scriptures, Ephesians 6 and verse 9 and 1 Timothy 5.21, it talks about how we need to, you know, exercise justice. There's a really cool passage in Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. It says, He has shown you, O man, what is good, and what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. You're making a decision as a parent. You never favor one child or the other over the other. You're making a decision as a pastor. You never, uh, oh, this is my friend. I'm going to rule. No, it's, it's what's just, what's right. You're out there as a police officer. You're out there as an employer. And you're choosing who to promote. You have to be just. We have to be just and fair. This is what God has shown us to do. You know, and he is the one that gives us the standards. This is our foundation. He's put it in our hearts. And so we need to be so careful. God speaks next in verse 6. And, and he says, I said you are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High, but you shall die like men and f- fail like one of the princes. And so... You know, God gave Israel and, and leaders such a great responsibility as judges in the land, and it wasn't done, you know, in a, professionally. It wasn't done in some, you know, distant or dry formality. He said to them, I've made you, you know, judges. It's almost as if you're a representative of God to them, and I called you my children. I mean, such a great place that they were put, but, you know, maybe they took it to heart. You know, these guys that are making judgments without the fear of God, they think they're God. And what God is saying right here, you think you're God, one day you're going to die like a man. And God will judge these people who are making these decisions that are politically correct and they are biblically wrong and wicked. And that was happening in Israel. And we see it happening in our country today. You know, in, in verse 8, or he says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. And so um, when I read this uh, last uh, verse right here, I think of the, just like, Lord, arise, Lord, judge, Lord, come. How many of you here would like, well, maybe you're torn. I'm not sure, but I would just, Lord, come today, man. <laughs> Rapture up the church. Judge the world. Um, Lord, uh, set up your kingdom. Uh, eradicate evil. And then we'll have that home in heaven forever. So, you know, I know you're thinking, well, wow, but Manny, I want my loved one to get saved. Although they might get saved in the tribulation period. That's okay. <laughs> I just say, Lord, come. And that's kind of what he's saying here. Arise, O Lord, and just take care of business. And so what we find in Psalm 82 is the judges of God. I, I read a poem. It says, this world is very evil. The times are waxing late. Be sober and keep vigil. The judge is at the gate. You know, notice there again in verse 8, it says, Arise, O God, judge the earth, for you shall inherit all nations. I can't wait for that day. Now, Psalm 83, it, it moves now to the people of God. And we're going to see it's a prayer for protection for Israel. It's a prayer for God's intervention. And it's interesting, we're going to see even it's a prayer for God's salvation uh, to the nations. And so, uh, focusing foremost on Israel... Look at verse 1 of Psalm 83. It's a a song, a psalm of Asaph. Do not keep silent, O God. Do not hold your peace. And do not be still, O God. For behold, your enemies make a tumult. I mean, it's just a, they're growling. It's a commotion. It's an uproar. And those who hate you have lifted up their head. They have taken crafty counsel against your people and consulted together against your sheltered ones. They have said, Come and let us cut them off from being a nation, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. And so, 
It's interesting, just when you read the Bible, how relevant it is. I mean, it's just amazing to me. You know, the judges of God, the people of God are being uh, opposed, I mean, in every way. You know, we see that with the nation of Israel. And right here, he's just praying, Lord, you hear their threats. You see their threats. God, don't be silent. All you need to do is speak. Lord, don't be silent. And, And Lord... Come, and you know, please don't just sit down, rise up and move in a mighty way. And a, a lot of us here, we probably feel that way. God, we want to see you move. We want to see miracles. I want to see that person, I want to see him lit up with, with just a passion for you, God. You know, our enemies are coming against us, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they're relentless, you know, and they want to destroy your people. They want to destroy your church. You know, most churches nowadays, they're shrinking. I mean, it's crazy what's going on. Less and less people are going to church. Less and less people are going to a midweek study. They're staying home. What are they doing? They're watching television. They're playing games. They're fixing up their house. It's crazy what's going on. And right here, he's just praying, Lord, because of your love, because we know who we are, we're the apple of your eye, we believe that our enemies are your enemies, and they've risen up, they've partnered and planned and consulted and crafty together. The, the plan is clear. Notice again what the enemy wants to do in verse 4. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation, the name, that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. You know, all of you here, you guys know that there is a nation in the Middle East. It's about the size of New Jersey. It's called Israel. You guys know that? Now, you know that's a miracle? Did you know that's a fulfillment of prophecy? Did you know that in 70 AD they were destroyed? And never before has a people group then regained their identity and regained their land. But the Lord said in the last days in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, that they would come back to the land. And so the enemy hates Israel, and he's trying to destroy them. One thing we've seen throughout history is Satan comes against the Jews because he knows they're a sign for the world to see that God's word is true. And so he always tries to wipe them out, to annihilate them. You know, here we see, we're not 100% sure on the context of the psalm, some say it's 2 Chronicles chapter 20 because when you read 2 Chronicles chapter 20, you see the Edomites and the Ammonites and the Moabites were coming against Israel and so is a lot. But when you read this, it's 10 nations that are coming against Israel. Now that's interesting because in Daniel chapter 2, it takes about in the last days how the 10 toes will come against Israel. And what are they trying to do? They're going to try to to wipe Israel out. You know, what we find, we're not sure on the context, but over the ages, Israel has been attacked repeatedly. And and you guys remember the book of Esther? When the Persians tried to uh, wipe out the Jews, uh, so did the Assyrians, so did the Babylonians, so did the Germans. Under the leadership of Hitler, over 6 million Jews were wiped out. I was reading about the the Holocaust today and it's just terrible. But what we find is that that's the agenda of the enemy. He wants to wipe out Israel. And that's a fulfillment of prophecy. You know, even when the the leader of Iran, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his name, Mahmoud, Ahmadinejad, whatever, however you say it. You know, in 2005, uh, there's an article in the New York Times uh, he said that Israel must be wiped off the, the map and that attacks by the Palestinians would destroy it. You know, here's the leader of Iran, the leader of the Persians, saying that Israel must be wiped off the map. And he had this uh, audience of about 4,000 students at a program called The World Without Zionism in preparation for an annual in anti-Israel demonstration on the last Friday of the month of Ramadan. And so you see that uh, going on in in December 2006 at an international conference. The same man said, thanks to the people's wishes, and he said, Allah's will, the trend for the existence of the Zionist regime is headed downwards, and this is what Allah has promised and what all nations want. The Zionist regime 
will be wiped out soon. That's the agenda of the, the, the Muslims. That's the agenda of Iran. That's the agenda. You'll like, be like, oh, man, these Muslims are good. Listen, there's 10% that believe their, they believe their Quran. There's 10% that are, that are conservative, and that's, a, that's 100 million people that want to wipe out Israel. It, it's still going on. On Israel's 60th birthday, Ahmad Menajad said, those who think they can revive the stinking corpse of the uprising and fake Israel regime by throwing a birthday party for it, he said right here, are seriously mistaken. Today, the reason for the Zionist regime's existence is questioned, he said, and this regime is on its way to annihilation. And so that's in the heart of the people. That's in the heart of the enemy. We see it here. These guys, they just want to, you know, wipe them out. Look again at at verse 4. They have said, come and let us cut them off from being a nation that the name of Israel may be remembered no more. And so we read about the Ten Nation Confederation in verse 5, for they have consulted together with one consent. They form a confederacy against you, the tents of Edom and the Ishmaelites, Moab and the Hagrites, Gebal, Ammon and Amalek, Philistia with the inhabitants of Tyre. Assyria also has joined with them they have helped the children of Lot, Silah. And so, you know, the psalmist then prays for God to deal with the enemies, and he has some suggestions for them. In verse 9, he says, Deal with them as with Midian, as with Sisera, as with Jabin at the brook Kishon, who perished at Endor, who became as refuse on the earth. Make their nobles like Oreb and like Zeb. Yes, and all their princes like Zeba and Zalmunna, who said, let us take for ourselves the pastures of God for a possession. And so the enemy wants to take the land from Israel. The enemy wants to take the land from you. How will you live your life? How will it be for your family? How will it be for your walk for the Lord? I mean, we have an enemy and he has an agenda and he comes against us. And so I like the Psalms because they're prayers. They're prayers. Lord, um, I have a few suggestions for you. Uh, can you deal with them the way that you did in the Bible? Can you, can you deal with them like Sisera? When you read his story in the book of Judges 4 and 5, He was the conquering general under King Jabin of Hazor. And you guys remember his story? He ran away and and the lady said, come into my tent and so I'll give you some milk, you know, some chocolate milk or whatever, you know. And and then it was warm milk. And then when he fell asleep, do you guys remember what she did? She got the tent stake and she put it right here in his temple and boom. And she drilled that tent stake through his temple, the Bible says. Kind of a play on words. Lord, defeat the enemy like that. The enemy is coming against me. The enemy is coming against my family. God, I have a suggestion for you. Just like you did in the Bible days, Lord, do it again. You know, he mentions Midian here. They were defeated under the leadership of Gideon. Now, Gideon, when you read his story in the book of Judges, uh, chapters 6 through 8, he wasn't your typical leader. You wouldn't think that this guy could lead a nation. He was afraid. You know, he was a weak guy. He said, I come from a weak clan. Uh, he wasn't really a soldier. As a matter of fact, that's where we get the word giddy from. Um, he just wasn't really like the masculine type, right? No, I'm just joking. That's not where we get the, the word from. But he just, you know, like, Lord, you can use anybody. Lord, you can use Gideon. If you can use Gideon, you can use anybody. Anybody you call, anybody you appoint, anybody you anoint, Men, women, young, old, it doesn't matter. Lord, use my life, Lord, to make a change, to make a difference for my people, my family, my community, my nation. Lord, like you did with Gideon. And it's not Gideon, it's you, Lord. I mean, you remember the story of Gideon when they went to to fight the Midianites? There were 32,000 Israelites 
going up against 135,000 Midianites. And so 32,000 against 135,000, I would be like, okay, Lord, that's, we need more soldiers. But do you remember what the Lord said? You guys got too many. There's too many of you there. So what you need to do, Gideon, is tell them, any of them that are afraid, tell them to go home. You're afraid, go home. You're afraid, don't serve anymore. You're afraid, don't come to church anymore. You're afraid, don't serve. What he's saying is like, hey, we can't, we need faith. We need faith if we're going to defeat the enemy. And so, you know, what we read is so crazy, man. Um, 22,000 were afraid and they left. And then the Lord said, you know what? You still have too many. They'll take the glory. You know, and you got to be so careful that you never, we have to be so careful that we never, ever touch the glory. Please don't do that because if you are one of those who touch the glory, then God won't move in your life. Oh, yeah, I prayed for you. Don't, don't credit your prayer, you know? Don't, don't touch the glory. The Lord did it. It's just the Lord. It's not Gideon. Oh, there's too many soldiers. So the Lord said, okay, take them to the water, and then you can still, you know, weed out the people that don't need to be there. You know, the ones that are lapping like a dog, you know, get rid of them. And so there were 9,700 that left. There's only 300 left. And then that with that 300 soldiers... They defeated 135,000 Midianites. And so who do you think did it? Do you think it's because those soldiers were good? It was God. And what he's saying right here, when he's praying again, he's saying, Lord, it, the odds are against us. Lord, it looks so crazy. It looks so wicked. It looks so bad. But Lord, you did it then. Lord, would you do it again? And that's kind of how we have to pray, you guys. The psalmist is praying, give us that kind of victory. And he mentions Oreb and Zeb. They were princes of Midianites. He mentions Zeba and Zalmunna. They were the kings of the Midianites. And when you read the story, God wiped them all out. And so that's what they're trying to do to us, Lord. They're trying to take down my family. They're trying to destroy my children. They're trying to ruin my marriage. Oh no, absolutely not. I will fight and I will pray and I will believe. And that's what we see happen here. You know, Lord, please deal with them. Lord, defeat them. But it's interesting when you read this right here as believers, it's not just that. Uh, look at what we read in, in verse 13. Oh, my God, make them like the whirling dust, like the chaff uh, before the w wind. As the fire burns the woods and as the flame sets the mountains on fire, so pursue them with your tempest and frighten them with your storm. Fill their faces with shame. But notice what it says, that they may seek your name, O Lord. Let them be confounded and dismayed forever. Yes, let them be put to shame and perish that they may know that you, whose name alone is the Lord, are the most high over all the earth. And it's interesting when you read that right there. He's saying, God, get them, you know, blow them away, burn them, you know, <laughs> strike them, but don't just strike them. He says there in verse 15, strike fear into them. But, but in, in, in verse 16, he says, Lord, you know, disgrace them that you might grace them, at least some of them. I, and we have our enemies. And I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where you're like, man, Lord, you know, kill them and, <laughs> and just send them to hell. Some people have that heart. But what we see right here is that's not really the whole prayer. I mean, yeah, the ones that don't want to repent, they choose their eternity, right? But Lord, I tell you what, work in their life that they may know you. And so when Goliath, you guys remember the story of David and Goliath and when Goliath was killed, you know, uh, he found out who the living God was and I'll bet you a few of those Philistines did too, right? 
I mean, when the Egyptian army found out who the Lord was, when their you know, chariots were drowned and defeated deep in the Red Sea, I'll bet you through that whole process, there were a ton of Egyptians that turned to the Lord because of it. And the psalmist here, he just prays, Lord, defeat these nations that they may know that you are the most high over all the earth and that they may seek your name. You know, the, the enemies of God, if you think about it, at one time, that was us. Huh? At one time, we were his enemies. In Romans 5.10 and Colossians 1.21, it talks about that. And so, you know, sometimes we pray for these guys. You know, I know how you guys are. You're like that, whatever, the, the Democrats. Oh, get them, Lord. And, uh, and it's okay, but Lord, save them. Save whoever it is that you're struggling with. Save them. Lord, deal with them. Because that's our heart. That's the heart of God. You don't want to be like Jonah. Remember Jonah? He went to Nineveh. He went there and he said, Lord, you know, um, he didn't want to go, but God, you know, picked him up, turned him around, sent him there. And what we find is that when he was there, he had a message. He said, repent. God's going to judge this city. And he just sat up there and he waited for God to do that. And what ended up happening is God ended up bringing a revival there. And Jonah was upset about that, right? <laughs> and so we need to be careful with this. You know, the judges of God, that's us, and we need to judge justly, and that goes for everyone. The, the people of God, we need to, to pray, and, and then we see the pilgrims of God in Psalm 84. And I see it as a deep longing, a true longing for the perpetual presence of God. You know, 1 Peter 1 and verse 1, it says we're pilgrims. Same thing in chapter 2, verse 11. We're just passing through. And even though as we read this uh, psalm, we're going to see it points to the tabernacle, I think we can apply it to God's presence personally, congregationally, and eternally. Because look what you read in Psalm 84 and verse 1. It says, To the chief musician on an instrument of Gath, a psalm of the sons of Korah, how lovely is your tabernacle, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, even faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. You know, no doubt this psalm was written when he was away from the tabernacle. And when you read the Old Testament, you study it out, that was the place of God's special manifest presence under the Old Testament. Eventually, it would be the temple as well. And so this person, they hadn't been at the tabernacle. They hadn't been at the temple. They hadn't maybe been at church for a long time. And, and yet, they loved the Lord. Now, some people, they don't go to church and they get used to it. They're okay with it. They, 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 they find themselves being more productive, you know, getting things done around the house and... You know, you start, you know, picking up another hobby and you start getting distracted with things like that. This guy right here, he wasn't there and he was dying inside. I mean, he just said, man, I want to be there so bad. You know, the, his entire being is just cried out with craving. He fell down. Imagine that. And he fainted with his desire wanting to be there so bad. You know, and of course we know in the Old Testament that tabernacle was symbolic of the, of the, the manifest presence of God. You know, and, and so that was his desire. Lord, I just want to be with you. In, in verse 3 it says, Even the sparrow has found a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. Even your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God, blessed are those who dwell in your house they will still be praising you, Selah. And, and he says right here, Lord, um, the birds are allowed to be in their homes and their nests. And it's not really clear as far as, is he talking about that they found a little hiding place in the tabernacle? Um, it could be that, but more than likely what he's saying is that they, you know, they have their place, Lord. They have their nests. What about me? Why, why can't I get back to the tabernacle? I want to be there and never leave. Lord, I want to live there. You know, what a blessing. And I think sometimes, you know, we can take it for granted. 
You know, the priests, they lived there. I wonder if they really appreciated what a blessing it was to be at the tabernacle, right? There, and there was the altar where you would find forgiveness. There was the altar where you would be restored into fellowship with God. There, you would be worshiping. You know, like today, when I, you know, came to service tonight, even though I, I, I you know, whatever, I work here, I'm on staff here, I'm, all, I'm here all day, After reading this psalm, I was really excited about church tonight. I was really excited about being able to sing, being able to worship, being able to be with the congregation. You know, being able to, you know, experience that that presence of God. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but the Bible talks about the fact that your body is the temple of God, right? And so if you're a Christian... God lives in you. Your body is the temple. And so there's a perpetual presence of God there. But, but you don't just stay home and not go to church. Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 16, when he talks to the congregation, he says, you're the temple of God. And there is something special about when we get together and, and you know, just the, the, the presence of God in the midst of his people. For example, the Bible says that he inhabits the praises of his people. And so, you know, coming and seeing what God does. Nowadays, people are not going to church uh, sometimes. And, and I know some people, they, they can't come. I, I understand that. Certain things prevent them from coming, so they watch it online. And if you're watching online, please don't take this personally, you know. But, but, but I'm just saying there is nothing like being there. When you're singing, when you're praising, and when you're fellowshipping, and when you're exercising your gifts, and when you're in the presence of the preaching of God's word, whatever you do, never stop that. This guy right here, he found himself in a place where he couldn't go anymore. And imagine, you know, you go to a place and there's no teaching church. There's some people out there. Or maybe you're locked up. This guy right here was probably in captivity, although it may be that he simply lived a distance from Jerusalem. But more than likely, he was in captivity because he keeps calling upon the Lord of hosts, which means he's calling upon the God of war, the God of heaven's armies. And he's kind of saying like, Lord, let me get back to that. Look what we read in verse 5. It says, Blessed is the man whose strength is in you, whose heart is set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with posts, with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. And so I think the key here is that this person's heart is set on pilgrimage. They have this, it's kind of like a, a tabernacle to look forward to, and it helps them through. Uh, Psalm 84 and verse 5, the New Living Translation, it says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have set their minds on a pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so, you know, they're, 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 they're going through this valley. He mentions right here the valley of Baca. Baca means weeping. According to the Hebrew lexicon, which is a great one, Brown, Driver, and Briggs, it means weeping. And so they're going through the valley of weeping, but they make that valley glorious. They make it a spring. They make it beautiful. How? How can they make the valley of weeping beautiful? Because they know their heart is set on pilgrimage. They know, and I think now it moves from not just the personally and the congregationally, but I think it moves now to eternally. Lord, I just want to be with you forever. You know, we, we can't miss the fact that the future tabernacle, it doesn't just bring them to this point where they survive in the valley. No, they thrive in the valley. They don't just squeak by, they fly. Here's the thing, if we keep our eyes on the Lord, then the valley of weeping will become this spring 
these pools of blessing. You know, I, 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 when you look at it right here, it's interesting. Look again at verse 6 and 7. It says, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a spring. The rain also covers it with pools. And look at verse 7. They go from strength to strength. Let me ask you a question. Are you getting stronger in the Lord? I'm not talking about, you know, your own strength. Are, are you growing? You know, because even if you're in the valley of Baca, the valley of weeping, the Bible says that if you have your eyes on the Lord and if you know, you know about the perpetual presence of God in, in you and in church and forever there in heaven, the Bible says you'll grow. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. And I tell you what, for me, I am just so hungry for God. I want to grow. I want to see great things happen in me and my family and the church. And, and what we find right here is God is saying, when you go through the valley where you're weeping, I want you to know that you can be growing. As one lovely sister said to me, don't just gr go through it, you grow through it. As she walked through the valley of cancer as a young girl, only 21 years old, she went from strength to strength. And now she's home in the perpetual presence of God. See, that's heaven. It's not just a, a destination. It's a motivation. And that's what we see going on right here. Look, look at, at verse 8. It says, O Lord, God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. O God, behold our shield and look upon the face of your anointed. Now, as he's going through this, it's interesting how he's praying, and we need to do that. Hear our, our prayer, Lord. You know, consider maybe he's, in, he's speaking about the king when he mentions the shield and the anointed one. You know, the king of Israel. But some even say, he might even be saying, you know, Lord, what about Jesus? You know, as I'm praying for, for, for victories, I'm praying to, to make it there to, you know, Jerusalem, to that place of your true, powerful, perpetual presence. Lord, consider Christ in my life, how he has washed away my sins, how he has made a way. You know, I use the mediator, the Bible says. And so, Lord, will you, you bring us to your tabernacle? And this is why I want to go. Look at verse 10. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Implied. You know, a day in your courts is better than a thousand. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Wow. What a beautiful word that we have tonight. You know, as this guy is, he's away from church, he's away from the tabernacle, he's away from the temple. You know, more than likely he's locked up in captivity and so he's learned over the years now the value of this whole thing. And he said, man, I want to be there. I would rather be an usher, you know, there, a doorkeeper, just one day. I just want to go there for, I would rather be there one day than a thousand elsewhere, a thousand other places, you know. And it mentions the tents right here, but the Hebrew word speaks of nice tents. There are some pretty nice tents out there, huh? I'd rather be there in the house of the Lord as a doorkeeper than, you know, all the other places in the whole wide world. There's a whole bunch of wickedness going on, just having a good time, you know, sowing your wild oats and you're living your own life when God has called you to him. Who would say that? Who would say, I'd rather be there one day than a thousand other days, other places? Who would say that? It's a person who has been deprived of that. 
And so, you know, they've learned that lesson. A person of true Christian conviction, somebody who really loves the Lord. Lord, I've learned, I see now, life without you. Life, life without you is like life without the sun. Lord, life without you is so dark, it's so cold. Life without you means I have no walls of defense, I have no protection, no shield. Really, there's no life without you. But some people are trying to live their life without the Lord. And, and what he's saying right here is, Lord, but when I come to church, when I come to church service, and you, and you guys, I beg of you, don't just come here you know, to socialize. Don't just come here, you know, to, you know, meet with your friends. I mean, praise God, we have some pretty cool people, a couple of you, you know. But man, we're here to meet with God. We're here to experience God. We're here to be taught by God. We're here to serve God. And as you're there, and then that, that's your heart, Lord, I want to go and seek you. Touch my life, Lord. Teach me. Change my life. Do something radical, something different. Light a fire within me. You know, life without you is, is horrible, but life with you, it, it, he mentions grace in, in verse 11. And it's glorious. I mean, you know, what a beautiful promise. Notice it says there again in verse 11, man, and, and I hope you guys know what this means. No good thing will he withhold from those who talk uprightly. No, that's not what he says, huh? <laughs> You're a good talker. You're a good talker. Big deal. You got to be a good walker, right? Are you living the life? Are you living the life at home? Are you living the life at school? Are you living the life at work? Are you really living the life? Are you loving your wife? Are you loving your husband? Are you loving your children? Are you reading the Bible with them? Are you praying with them? What are you watching on television? What, what are you looking at on your phone? What are you listening to on that radio? What's your life? What's your walk? If your walk is right, then God will give you everything that is good, that is intended for your life. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And so this, is, this guy right here, whoever wrote this psalm, I just love this guy. My heart goes out to him because he hasn't been able to go to church a whole lot and be in the tabernacle or you know, in the perpetual presence of God like that. But he teaches us these things. You know, what he finds in the end right here is interesting when you look at this psalm in verse 4 blessed are those who dwell in your house verse 5 blesses the man whose strength is in you and then in verse 12 O Lord of hosts blessed is the man who trusts in you and you, and you look at that verse right there and, and here's the thing we, we don't just you know believe intellectually you know it's some people, they, 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 they say they believe. Yeah, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah, I believe in the Bible. Why don't you read it? You know, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Then why don't you serve him? I mean, we're not talking about intellectual faith. We're not talking about filling out some survey. Yeah, I believe. We're talking about trust. Do you trust him? Blessed is the man who trusts of him. O Lord of hosts. Trust in who? The Lord of hosts. The Lord of heaven's army, God Almighty, the one who rules over the world, that's the one we trust in. And that's why we can pray with faith. You know, great lessons for us, you guys. What we find is that God is strong enough to strengthen us. He cares enough to carry us through all the alleys and valleys of life. And we go through, and even though we're weeping, we're growing there in the valley of Baca and he's taking us all the way home. Please, don't stop coming to church service. And you might think, well, man, he's just trying to fill the seats. No, I just know what would happen to the church if people came obediently. If they didn't you know, have to be dragged to be here. 
You know, hey, you guys come to church tonight and we'll, you know, afterwards we'll go to In-N-Out. Oh, yeah, we'll go, you know. I mean, why do people have to be bribed with food? It's crazy. You're like, well, I love food. No, we're here and we got to catch that vision. We're here to seek the Lord. And as you gather together um, and you talk to someone, you're fellowshipping with someone, you're serving with someone, it is such a blessing to see what God does. Now again, in looking at this, great lessons for us as, as God's judges. And in one sense, we're always making judgments. So make sure you do it justly. We're, we're here as God's people. The enemy is going to come against us. So we got to pray hard you know, for his power. And we're here as God's pilgrims. And we're just passing through. Ultimately, we know one day we'll be home in heaven. And so that helps us through everything because we know that one day we'll stand before God and we'll give an account, even Christians, at the Bema Seat. And so let that purify our lives. You know, I don't know where you're at tonight in your walk with the Lord, but I do know He's calling you to holiness. I do know He's calling you to, you know, get real. I do know that He's calling you to the altar where there is a coal to light a fire inside a heart that has grown cold. I do know that he's calling you to this place of repentance so that you can experience forgiveness and the power of the same God who made the world. You don't have to wait till tomorrow. You don't have to wait till Sunday or next week. You can do business with God tonight. That's why we're here. And so I pray that we would just be honest with the Lord. And if you're here tonight, and you might even be saying, I don't know how to do it. I don't know how. I just know something's missing. God will will meet you there. You just tell him that tonight. Lord, I need you. And he'll do a work.